I'm going to start a series today called um, Seeking Revival. It'll be a Seeking Revival series. That's what we're going to call it, just Seeking Revival. And all the way up to our Bible conference, and on the 26th, Brother Mike Holcomb's going to be here to preach that day, the Sunday before the Bible conference. And so maybe he can... Um, get squeeze some juice out of us and um, see if he can have some some harvest. But we're going to talk about revival. I know most of you don't have a clue what it is. You've never seen it. Um, some of you have, just in a small way. I've seen it twice in small situations in in a community once, and then here once way back many years ago. I've never seen it to where the Holy Spirit moved like he did in those two times. We were smaller then, but the power of God was real. I can remember before the preacher even preached, and I, I'm not going to call his name, but there's a man in our church who run up on the stage before the preacher ever preached and kneeled at my feet and said, lead me to Christ, I'm lost. Before the preacher ever preached, and so, folks, listen, it's not just the preaching. It's not just the singing. It's the Holy Ghost power we need. And so I want you to turn today in your Bible to the book of 1 Kings chapter number 2. 1 Kings chapter number 2. Every week I'm going to try to give you a brief bio of past revivals. We haven't had one in quite some time, and that's why America's in the shape it is. But I just want to give you a little taste of what has happened and what could happen again, because God's the same today, yesterday, and forever. And so don't say it, can't ha it can happen at Hillcrest. I don't think it can happen in the nation. I think we've gone too far there. God has to judge us. But it can happen in local churches. It can happen in communities where people just come to Jesus Christ with everything they got. And so, I want you to look at 1 Kings chapter 2. David's an old king. He's about to die. He's fought many battles. He's even messed up in sin. But he's asked God to forgive him, and God certainly did. And he still was called a mighty warrior for God. And so he's talking to his son, Solomon, who really was kind of a mama's boy. He was, he kind of was, you know, hung out with mama all the time and never really got out where the action was. And so he was probably the heady one where David was both heady and ready, you know. And so he's telling Solomon, he's charging him some things that needs to happen. Now remember, they're in the... They're fixing to be in the midst of a revival. So he's not, later on we'll look at that in Second Chronicles 7, but after the temple is finished, they're in the midst of revival. And notice that God tells us that when it stops, that's when we need revival. When things start drying up, we need revival. When souls quit getting saved, we need revival. And so that's what he's talking about here in our text today. The day of David drew nigh, but he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. 
Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, and his judgments, and his testimonies, as written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest, and whithersoever thou turnest thyself, that the Lord may continue his word. Did you hear that? May the Lord may continue his word which he spake concerning me, saying, If thy children take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, there shall not fail thee, said he, a man on the throne of Israel. But, of course, we know that didn't happen. And so had they done that all the way through, we'd still have a king. But no, they really got back into idolatry and lost it. And I'll talk to you about that in one of our messages. So I want us to bow our head and just ask God to help us today. Just to, we just really need his help. And I really need his help today. Father, we thank you, God, for your goodness to us. And I pray now that you might just do something in us that would be just unbelievable not that I'm not talking about unbelievable to us but unbelievable to the world do something that will shake them because you've shook us now God we'll ask that in Jesus name because we ask you God to let the Holy Ghost have freedom here to convict and convince any lost person they need to be saved and any saved person they need to repent and any person you want to be a part of this church, convince them today that they should. Now, Lord, we love you and we thank you, God, for this precious word you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. My heart's prayer for some time is that God would deliver us from the status quo. That God would deliver us from being content with just average Christianity. I'm seeing that. I see it everywhere. I I hear it everywhere as I talk to pastors, as I listen to conversations, as I read material. I'm finding that we're just satisfied with being average Christians. Some below average. We're just satisfied sometimes with being below average Christians. Some folks believe like this. Well, just as long as I'm going to heaven, that's all I care about. Well, you got a problem. You may not be going to heaven if you feel like that. There's a problem with that. And I want to tell you, it is time for Hillcrest Baptist Church to seek the Lord. We need to start seeking revival. Just as revivals have become a thing of the past, let one become a thing of the present where God breaks through in mighty power in this church. And then it'll spread everywhere. Vance Havner said about the church, he said, the blower is blowing, but the fire has gone out. That's exactly the truth. You say, well, I I really don't understand revival. And I had people come and tell me, especially in in the uh, last generations, they come and say, what is it? Well, it's the overwhelming flood of God consciousness. It's when God consciousness takes over everybody. You sense it in the place. It's where we are smitten by conviction. That's revival. 
Nothing has changed. Revival will still come to pass like 2 Chronicles 7.14 states. But revival, when it's needed, it's needed by God's people, not lost people. Lost people need to get saved. And when they do, they'll have revival later on and need it later on in their life. And so do we in our church. You see, there's not anything wrong with the field. It's white to harvest. What the problem is, is the laborers are few. So today, I just want to share with you how this country was basically birthed because of a revival. Um, There's... You know, a man in our history, there was a preacher and a powerful, godly man that God used. His name is Jonathan Edwards. I could tell you a lot about him, but I'm just going to tell you that America was birthed in the midst of his revival. In a book that was written, um, The Great Awakening began in 1719 and continued for a quarter of the next century or more. It was the formative event in the history of the United States preceding the moving of independence and also making it possible. Without revival, there'd be no America. Do you hear me? Without revival, there'd be no America. And without revival, we'll be no America again. And so that time God raised up a man Jonathan Edwards, and God began to move in the hearts of the people as he pastored in a little church up in Northampton. And by 1733, Jonathan Edwards remarked, he said, it seemed like everybody now has a, some type of religious concern. And it began to appear in that little village and from his church and then all over the village and, and people started coming. And then all of a sudden, there was sudden deaths in his church. Unexplainable, but just sudden deaths in his church. And after those sudden deaths happened in that church, there was probably every single person in that town, every single person in that town is far as we know, wanted to get in on what was going on. When God kills folks unexpectedly in your church just so you can have revival, that's dangerous, folks. So Edwards preached, and he, he, didn't do, he wasn't wild and crazy like we are. He was uh, actually read a manuscript. He couldn't see good. And he would read, just like this right here, every word that he said. But it wasn't that preaching. It was the power of God that was on him. And not just that. It was the power of God because now everybody was starting to seek revival. And when they sought revival, God used this man to bring revival. And so he, he, he knew, and then in 1734, after those sudden deaths took place, he preached the famous sermon, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. You can find it most anywhere, that sermon. It's a very long sermon. Back in those days, all sermons were long sermons. An hour, hour and a half, two hours, not unusual at all. That was their normal service. It was hard to get to church, and when you got there, you got a good load. Amen? 
And so uh, they didn't bother them a bit in the world when the Holy Spirit was in the place. And so something happened in July the 8th of 1741 to a congregation in Enfield, Connecticut, where uh, Jonathan Edwards was preaching. And the cultured, refined New Englanders began, uh, begged for mercy as he preached that sermon. And they were clinging to the post that held the building up, clinging so they wouldn't fall into hell. Now, folks, that's real. That's when God's getting real. And Jonathan Edwards preached that sermon. As a result of it, a great awakening took place. Now, today, I want to take this passage of Scripture and deal with it real quickly. Then I'm going to give you an invitation to see where you want to do it or not. I want you to go back to where we were in 1 Kings. That's going to be our text. But... My theme verse for this series is revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee. That's found in Psalm 85, 6. And you see, folks, if that'll ever happen, church won't be born to you. It won't be born to your kids. It won't be born to anybody. It won't be a burden for anybody you won't have to make a choice to whether, well, are we going to play ball this Sunday? Are we going to go on vacation this week so we'll miss church? You won't even have to make a choice because when you get right with God, the choice is already made. You'll do what God says. You'll seek his will. And so when we start seeking revival, God's going to do something and uh, our faults will start to be noticed by us. We'll see our own faults. And I think all of a sudden, something happens and singing will rock. I'm talking about solid rock now. Don't get upset, Steve. And then seats will be filled when revival comes. So in first, I want you to just write these four verses down and look them up sometime. They'll help you. Psalm 85, 6, Isaiah 57, 15, Isaiah, uh, uh, Psalms 30, 138, verse 7, and Habakkuk. Chapter 3, verse 2. All those verses talk about some aspect of revival. But today, I'm going to talk about 1 Kings chapter 2. I'm going to do this in a way I hope you'll hear me. First of all, when I look at that text, here's what I see. I see a decision to believe or follow Christ. John 12, 26 may be one of my most convicting verses that God has ever put in my life. And it says this, If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. In other words, Jesus said, When I'm up to something, God's people will be there. When I want to do something in you, you'll be where I want you to be. If you really want to seek God's faith, you really want to do his will, you'll be stepping in the steps of Jesus. That's what he wants us to do. Today is that verse, where, is, where, where he is, would mean you are already with him. Because he said, where I am, there you're going to be. So David was dying and that actually uh, speaks of first thing he, I think he wanted to remind him of was his conversion. Because David was dying and he was ready and he wants his son to be ready. I don't know that he was sure Solomon was ready. Um, 
are you absolutely sure you're ready today? Now, I didn't say I joined the church, got baptized, and I teach a class, and I do this, and I do that. I don't care about that. I want to know if you're absolutely sure in your heart that you are ready to meet God in death. That's what, that's what he's saying. He, he knows he's going to die. He knows he's ready to die. He knows he's going to meet God. Now he wants his son to live the life he lived. And when he dies, he's able to say to his sons the same thing. So are you ready? Be ready. A decision to follow or believe Christ. And, and you're going to have to do two, two things. First of all, you're going to have to repent. Second of all, you're going to have to receive him by faith. Those are the two things you have to do. You have to be willing in your heart to turn from what and who you are and turn to him and say, I can't change my life, Lord, but I want to turn my back on all that mess and I want you to know that I believe what you did on the cross and the blood you shed on the cross was enough to save me and I'm sticking all my faith right there. Lord Jesus, come into this dirty, filthy heart and save me and change me and he'll save you and change you. It'll happen that way. So there's two things that we have to do. Repent and receive him by faith. And so that's why John 1, 12 says, As many as received him to them gave you power to become the sons of God. 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. He was actually talking to believers, by the way, in that text. But listen, if you're lost, that text will suit you too. So it, it suits you, it also suits the lost. The lost and the saved, both, both is addressed in 2 Corinthians 6.2. God must have saved people if he's going to have a revival. You cannot do it in a liberal, dead church. You've got to have saved people for revival. And the more that gets saved, I believe the more that God will do. And I believe the more you serve God, the more he's going to save. You'll start seeing people saved. If you get frustrated, if you remember what, what, what happened around this time was that he says, if you'll do what's right, there won't be any droughts. I'll make the rain come when it's supposed to come. I'll make sure your crops grow when it's supposed to grow. You just obey me. So see, he's not telling the folks that they need to have revival. They're already kind of in revival because they're getting ready to build the temple and it's got everybody all happy and David's got everything ready. He's prepared everything. Now David could have just said, fully on this, I mean, I'm the king. I've got all the money. I've got all the material. I'll just build the temple myself. But he was so sensitive to the will of God, he would not build the temple because God told him not to. And he let Solomon build it so there became an atmosphere of thrill among the people. And so he said, when that dies down, you're going to have to, first of all, make a decision to follow or believe Jesus Christ. Secondly, you not only need to be ready, but you need to be strong. You've got to believe God to be strong. You make, you've got to make a decision to believe God if you want to be strong. We live in a day not only to where we have weak Christians, but we have the devil having strongholds in their life. And they don't know what to do with them. Ephesians 4 tells you how to deal with a stronghold in your life. But the problem is God don't want us to be weak. He wants us to be strong. And you say, where do you get that? Well, look in Ephesians chapter number 6. 
Ephesians chapter number six, that's in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter number six. Now, I want you to look what he says. He's telling the church at Ephesus at one time, a church that was deeply in love with Jesus Christ, maybe not so much anymore. And so he tells them this, finally, my brethren, be strong. Say that, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now look at verse number 13. He's not done. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And friends, I don't care. They had the evil day then. We have the evil day now. You go to work, it's an evil place. You go to recreation, there's evil going on. Wherever you go in this world, it's an evil place. And so he said, if you want to stand, you get the whole armor of God. And having done all to stand, verse 14 says, stand. When you've done everything that you know to do to stand, then do it. Stand. I won't back up. I won't move because God didn't give us anything for the back in his armor. Everything's for the front. So if you turn and run, guess what? You're going to get shot in the behind or the back or the neck. There's no, no armor for back there because God don't want his people retreating and turning and running. He wants his people charging. Be strong. That's what God says. And there's only two offensive weapons God gave us. We don't have the artillery all these uh, countries have today. There's, there was no problem of us nuking anybody. We'll, allow, we'll let God do that when he wants to. But he only give us two offensive weapons. Everything else was for defense. And those two op offensive weapons, number one was the word of God. And number two was prayer. That's how you stand strong. And that's what you do. And that's how you answer. And that's how you talk. And that's how you push evil away from you. Is you, the, you quote the word of God. You stand on the word of God. And you pray with all your heart. So he said, I want you strong. Be strong in the Lord. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 10. If I can find it here. Deuteronomy chapter number 10. Uh, look at what God says in verse number 12. I believe it is. Uh, and now Israel, listen, what doth the Lord thy God require thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, to love him, and to serve the Lord with all thy heart and with all thy soul. That's all God wants. That's all God wants. And if you're going to be strong, this is how you do it. That's the way Moses was strong. That's the way every other person's ever been strong. They didn't have anything that you don't have or can't have. They don't have anything that's not available to us. Problem is we don't utilize what we have. We've got a book. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear it no more than we have to. We're cutting down services as much as we can, shaving them apart just as much as we can, having as few as we can in our services. And then some folks say, well, they don't go to church at none of these other churches on Sunday night, so I ain't going to come here. Well, bless God, we're going to have Sunday night here. And we're going to have Wednesday night here. And our kids is going to know what it means to come to church. That is if you parents will bring them. 
If you will make your choice to stand, you won't have to make any other choices. You're already strong. So he says, be ready, be strong. Then third, he said, be a man. He says, be steady, consistent, solid, be a man. Be a man. Micah chapter 6, verse number 8. God tells us what a man is in God's eyes. Let me, let me tell you. He has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require thee but to do justly. Now, you have to be justified to do justly. And look, and to love mercy. Mm. That, lo- that word for mercy is the same word in the New Testament. It, it means loving kindness. And then to walk humbly with thy God. He said, that's what I want to see in a man. I want to see you justified, really born again and saved. I want you to be sensitive to the needs around you, knowing there's lost people, knowing there's, there's, there's backslidden people. I want you to have enough mercy to lay out to say, listen, you don't have to stay like that. You can get something done in your life. And then he said, I want you to walk with me on your knees. That's a man. He said, I'm a big, mean, macho dude. He painted that. Like the story I heard, some of you, you really think you, you know, you get, you get all beefed up and bulked up and you think you're really something. Just because I've lost mine, you don't scare me. <laughs> but a little girl went to school one day and she said, um, every, said everybody in the class, she stood up before the teacher could stop her. She said, my daddy can whip any one of your daddies in this class. Teacher thought, man, you done messed up. And little girl just bragging. I mean, she did all day long putting in her face. My dad can whip anybody, anybody in my class. So that night he heard a knock on the door. And he goes to the door, and here's one of those guys, his little girl standing behind him. He said, Your little girl told my little girl that you could whip anybody in her class, but you can't whip me. He said, I'll just mark you off my list then. That's the way a lot of us are, isn't it? We just mark them off. Because God don't want us to do that, though. God wants a man to be a man. To say no sometimes. And to say yes for God, no for the things that's not of God. We need a man. What did Joshua say? I don't care what everybody else does. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. You say, well, the, what, why, why aren't the women included? The women can. Listen, to, they, through obedience, submission, and prayer, they will help us have revival, but it starts with men. And some of you backslid men hadn't been to church enough in you this year to do anything in your life. You went to the world and done everything they've done. You've drunk with your buddies and you've cussed with your buddies and you hadn't fallen on your knees. God said you won't see revival. You seek his face. You repent of your sin and you believe he can do it. So I'm offering you mercy today. So that's what he's saying here. You want to see what a man is? That's what a man is. And let me show you another place. Genesis 18, 19. We won't have a revival unless the men get busy. Amen. I don't, I'm not talking about doing stuff, creating stuff, thinking up stuff. I'm not talking about that. 
I'm just talking about walking every day with Jesus. Don't you look in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, and look why God made a particular choice. The Bible says that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of earth shall be blessed in him, verse 18. This is what God said about him. For I know him that he will command his children. Today the children command us. That he will command his children and his household after him. And they, not just him, they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of. He said, we're not going to chance losing this seed, the seed faith. We're not going to lose that seed of Messiah down that line. And so I know Abraham's heart. I know what he's going to do because I've already spoke to him and told him he's going to be a great nation. And he says, I know that he will command his children and he will command his household to do the right thing. Some of you men need to stand up. Your wife may be bigger than you, but you've got God on your side. Your wife may be smarter than you. You've got God on your side. Your wife may make more money than you do, but you've got God on your side. Folks, listen, it doesn't matter what's going on in your mate's life. You need to stand up and be a man. Learn to say no and learn to say yes. Well, maybe hurry. Let's look at number two. By the way, God said if he could just find one man, Ezekiel chapter 22, just one man to make up the hedge, that'd be enough. So we got a gap here in our church somewhere. I don't know who it is, don't know where it is. We got a gap, and God's looking for some folks to make up that hole. And we got some folks that are faithful. They got a core. I mean, they're, they're in it, they're on it. I mean, they're, they're, they're trying to do what God wants them to do. And then we got those that's out there on the fringe. And we need somebody's out there that God's wanting to fill in that hole. Okay? Let's look at the second thing. He had a dedication to God's word. Look at verse 3. Go back to, go back to 1 Kings, I'm sorry. I had you all over the place, hadn't I? 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse number 3. He had a dedication to God's word. First of all, I want you to notice the charge. He charged him. Now, that's a, that's a military command. He said, I'm giving you orders, son. And you know, you know what the son would answer? Yes, sir. I'm at your service. Folks, listen, when God gives you a charge, you ought to say, yes, sir, I'm reporting for duty. And so he charged him there in the verse number three, keep the charge of the Lord thy God. And then he said, here it is, to walk in his ways. He said, I'm scared. If I just really obey God, you know, I'll make some enemies. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. But you'll also find a new family and some new brethren and sisters. Right. Listen, I, you know, most of us don't, don't have great big family. You know who our family is? It's you. The women have their sisters and the men have their sisters and the women have their brothers and, and, and the women have their sisters. And so we, we're just one big family. That's the way God means for us to be. And he says, walk. And the will of God is not scary. The will of God will not lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. 
Remember that. Don't fear God's will that comes straight from his word, but fear that you don't do God's will. And then look at the third thing. He gave him the charge. He told him how to walk. Thirdly, he said, I need you to obey. Verse number three. Need you to obey. He made it very clear. There's some things here that God will not allow. And I want you to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies. They're all written down for you. You can find them. And thou mayest prosper. Thou doest with a servant. Thou turnest thyself. So he gives him that charge, the walk. Now he says to be obedient. You know why we're not seeking revival? Because we don't want to be obedient. Because if we be obedient, it changes our life. It changes our lifestyle. Changes what we do at home. Changes what we do at, at school. Changes what we do at work. Changes what we do at church. Changes us. And we don't want to be too obedient because we're afraid that we may just offend somebody uh, or hurt somebody. Listen, folks, if people are right with God, it takes a lot to offend them. And the Bible clearly says that. Jesus made it very clear. You don't get offended easily if you believe in me. You got, you got to be tough to be a child of God. That's why he said, I want you men to stand. And when you stand, the women will stand with you and the children will stand with you and we can have revival. So he said, obey God. It, listen, obeying God is not a hassle, folks. It's not a hardship. It's not a burden. When you sell out to Jesus Christ, it'll be the best day of your life. Don't feel sorry for us that saved. Don't, don't, don't. Listen, we're getting more out of life now we ever could get lost. I'd, I'd be dead or an alcoholic or in jail if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. Many of you, your life absolutely changed. You'd be bound up in bitterness and unforgiveness and hatred, but Jesus come in and changed your life. So listen, why don't you just obey him? It ought not to be a burden to you after all he's done for you. Uh, Psalm 119 Verse 165. I don't get to say that often, do I? Psalm 119, verse 165. says, now listen, y'all have that? Don't you get this? For some of you little tender folks who keep your feelings on your shoulders and you're real fragile, and, and you, I don't like preachers to be, you know, get with it. I'd like them to just to ease around me. Listen to what Jesus said. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Woo, I like that. So next time you come up to me growling, I'm going to start howling. Great peace would you have if you love the Lord, and nothing would offend you. Somebody that didn't speak to you won't offend you. Somebody who, who does things a little different wouldn't, wouldn't offend you. I mean, listen, the preacher preaching something wouldn't offend you. But the reason it offends you is you don't love the law of God. I, think, I, I believe we'd rather tell a lie as a truth in this day we live. I don't even think we know what it is. Let me give you another thing. I'm not done with this. Okay? You say, that's legalism. No, that's the least you can do. To live for Christ after he went to the cross for you. That's the least you can do. 
can't do anything. I mean, if you don't do that, well, I, I mean, you, obviously something hasn't happened in your life. You had not realized Calvary. But 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, it gives it, even in the New Testament, he says this, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. That means his commandments are not a burden. They don't trouble you. They don't bother you. It's not a bad thing. Well, I've got to get up and go to church. Oh, man, going to ruin my day. It won't be like that. No, sir, it won't be like that. Well, I can't drink anymore. I certainly want it. Well, I know the devil will tempt you every now and then. He'll say on his shoulder and say, look at that frost on that thing. Don't look good. You just keep driving. You stand. You stand. Don't run off the road looking at the billboard, all right? Stand. Stand. Because God says that it's not a burden to obey him. And if you love him, you will obey him, and it won't bother you. Ooh, I like that. But look for, uh, fourthly here under his dedication he gave him the charge to be dedicated. Then he says, he gave him the walk that's to be dedicated. Then he told him about the obedience in his life that had to be dedicated. And now he's going to give him the results of being dedicated. He says, if you do this, you'll prosper in all you do. Yeah. That word's not used a lot in the Bible. So when God says he means it, you'll be successful as a child of God. And you'll be, there'll be some things that'll start reviving in your life. Revive my people that they may rejoice and there'll be a new rejoicing as you come to church. You can't wait to get here. And I'll tell you something else that'll happen. There'll be new reaping of the harvest when you get right with God. We'll start going where it's white. We'll start going where lost people live. He said, well, we visited every house in this area. Well, let's go to another area. Oh, well, that's in somebody else's turf. Well, if they ain't going to win them, you win them. But what turf is it? Well, you got a church on every corner. Nobody's turf. It's God's church. It's God's turf. And he told us to go. And I tell you, the fields are white and the laborers are few. But when you have revival, the laborers will be many and their white will be picked. Amen? And we'll have more people that loves the Lord. Thirdly, and I'm done. I want you to see in verse number three, he had a devotion to a godly legacy. He was devoted to have a legacy that would honor God. He said, the Lord may continue his word which he spake concerning me, saying, if thy children take heed to their way and walk before me in truth with all their heart, with all their soul, there shall not fail thee a man on the throne of Israel. He left a legacy that he wanted his son to follow and his son to follow and his son to follow and his son to follow. We find a lot of answered prayers start happening when we're concerned about our legacy. God just marks off blessings for us when we're concerned about what we're going to leave. Just think about what you're going to leave. What are you going to leave? If there's a lack of anything today, we just don't have legacies like David had, and we don't care about it if we do. And I read Acts 13. Now, don't you turn there, and this will be the last verse you'll have to look up today. And your fingers, you can go home and just soak them in some salt water, and they'll be all right. Now, look at Acts chapter 13, 
This is, this is amazing verses right here. This is Acts 13. Now, it was in a sermon preached, but he used David. And I want you to look at what he says about David. This dying man now that's talking to his son, but look later on what's said about David. A long time after that, chapter 13, verse 22. And when he had removed him, that Saul, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart. Look at that last line. Which shall fulfill all my will. Isn't that a great verse? Whoa, 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 whoa. He's not done. Look over verse 36. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid to his fathers and saw corruption. They still go to his grave in Israel and kiss it and hang on it and weep over it. Listen, David's not my Savior. No, no. He just is in the line that brought my Savior along, but Jesus is our Savior. I'm not kissing any coffins, and I'm not bowing down before dead tombstones. There's only one, and he's alive, and that's who we bow before. I want a person after God's own heart is one that acts only according to his will. You want to explain, that's it. It acts only according. Now, he got out of God's will for a moment, but God got him back in God's will. God never forces his, his will on us. But in our hearts, we want to do his will. And I don't know what kind of legacy you're going to leave to your kid. What are they, they going to say? What are they going to say about you when you're gone? I've been thinking a lot about this lately. What about your grandkids and your great-grandkids? What are they going to say about you when you're gone? I don't want to say that the last thing I saw Papa do pulled him a little stool out with his Converse tennis shoes on where he pierced his ears and painted his hair blue and put it up in a point about 18 inches tall. I don't want my grandkids to say, that's the kind of preacher my daddy was. My granddaddy was. I don't want the kids to say that. I want them to say he was stubborn as a mule, but he stayed steady. And if I'm worthy, I'd like for my tombstone to say what David's did, a man after God's own heart. That the will of God means more to him than anything else. What's your legacy? What are you going to leave for your kids? What are they going to remember you for? How much you left them and fight over it? What are they going to remember you for? How loud you cursed? What are they going to remember you for? How, how you lied? How you cheated? What are they going to remember you for? What kind of legacy are you going to leave and leave? I think that we ought to leave, leave, leave the legacy as the fact that my daddy, my granddaddy, my grandma, my granny, my nana, my papa, whatever y'all get called, my mama, my daddy, we ought to leave them the legacy that says with church doors open, they were there. 
And when they had an opportunity to witness, they took it. They was a soul winner. And they had a joyful obedience to God. It never was a burden for them to serve Jesus Christ. They was willing to work hard and labor in the harvest fields. But they did it with a joy because they were doing it with Jesus Christ. What's your legacy going to be? The Bible says that David died quietly. Could you die quietly if you knew you had to die right now? It just kind of wasn't a big deal for David. He knew he was going to die. And I, 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 I just read this article the other day, and I, I thought it was a blessing. I'm, I'm going to close with this. There was a conference held in D.C., and Bucky Fuller was, he was the great inventor, and he happened to be making a presentation at a, another conference in the very same hotel, so he got there to, he knew Bucky, and he got to talk to him for a while. He was in his 80s, uh, Bucky was, and yet he still had a clear mind, deep wisdom, abundant energy, and at the end of the talk, they walked together through the parking lot to the airport to his ride um, so he could go to another place for another presentation. He said, looking at me with, he said, just kind of anxious about it. He said, I rarely have seen him like that. He said, you know, Annie, that was his wife. She's not doing well. I'm very concerned about her. So he hugged him and then he said, I, I want to confide something in you. You're my friend. He said, I promised my wife, Annie, that I would die before she did so that he would be there to welcome her when it was her turn. Well, he said, I didn't think that was going to happen at all. But after his presentation in New York, he was informed that Annie had lapsed into a coma and was put in the hospital in Los Angeles. He got the quickest flight there he could. He rushed in the hospital, and he was laying there in a coma. He got him a chair, and he sat down by the bedside and closed his eyes and quietly died. He kept his promise. Can you do that? Can you quietly die? And that's a serious question. If you know you're going to hell, you can't. If you know you're going to heaven, you can't. If you know there's comfort where you're going, you can. If you know there's nothing but torment, you can't. 